0: Yes, pastors were sitting around drawing straws to see who would get to do Mother's Day, and they all left town. And I got <laughs> stuck holding a tall straw. Just kidding. They didn't do that because of that. Um, but I want to start off with Happy Mother's Day. I know it's been mentioned. And, um, you know, none of us would be here without you. So think about that. Um, so I was looking at this and did a little study on Mother's Day. Mother's Day is the third most celebrated holiday of the year after Christmas and Easter. Unless you live in Utah, then it's after Halloween also. Um, 145 million cards are sold, and half of those were this morning. Um, 14.6 billion spent on gifts and dinner. 69% of that is on flowers. And I I said, don't get me started on flowers. I hate buying flowers. I told a young man once, I said, if you want to find the perfect wife, find a girl whose birthday is February 14th. And then marry her on February 14th. And then right there, you just relieved a lot of stress because it's just one day. Here's your flowers, dear. Here's your card. And you got it nailed down. And that'd be like awesome. Um, But in thinking about Mother's Day, a lot of times we treat Mother's Day more like Valentine's Day than we do um, where it should be something more like, like Easter. And what I mean by that is we rush out. Last minute, it's like, oh, this week, it's Mother's Day. You know, I, f- I forgot all about it, so we rush out and we get the flowers or the candy or the card, and it's always last minute, and we just, you know, oh, it's kind of snuck up on me. And um, I want to share a trick with you on getting a Valentine's card or especially a Mother's Day card. And the trick is, is to buy two cards. Buy one card that's blank, and then buy another card that says exactly what you want to say to your wife or your mother, and then you hand write in the other card what that one card says. And then you throw away the evidence and you give them the card and you're like, oh, that is so awesome. And you're like, yeah, I wrote it. Because you did write it. You just didn't think it up, but you wrote it. And uh, then you can reap the blessings of saying exactly what you wanted to say without thinking too hard on it. Um, those are just some of my hints to help you. So, um, <laughs> there, There's another story... And then I'll get into my sermon. There's another story of a, a gentleman who uh, always forgot the important dates, always forgot the birthdays, forgot the anniversaries, forgot Valentine's Day. And so he's, th- this one time, he's like, I'm going to get it right. And so he planned ahead, and he went out and bought a card, bought a box of chocolates, bought flowers, got off work early that day, and he went home, knocked on the front door, and his wife opened the door, and he knelt down and started singing a love song to her. And big old tears welled up in her eyes, and she just, you know, started to cry. And she said, you know, today has just been horrible. You know, the the washer overflowed, and it flooded the whole laundry room. The kids have just been horrible. And now you show up drunk? (laughs) So that's my my Valentine's and Mother's Day stories. So in reality, instead of uh, treating Mother's Day like Valentine's Day, you know, talking about treating them more like Easter is it shouldn't just be one day. you know? It's not one day that we remember what Christ did for us, about Him dying and, and rising again for us. Um, but the same thing uh, about mothers. It's not just one day that we want to celebrate them. And so this morning, if you're here, we want to say Happy Mother's Day and celebrate you as, as our moms and the, the, the moms that are here, but the moms that we call um, today. And so in preparing my sermon and, and thinking about this and, and saying, okay, how do, I, how do I share on this, and, and where do I go? and um, The last 10 days have been a whirlwind for me. Um, two weekends ago, we took our college group up to Moab for a retreat. So there's 20-something of us that were heading up there, uh, stayed at uh, Van Arsdale's parents. They have a, their church has a cabin, so we stayed at this cabin thinking it's going to be great, Moab, you know, this time of the year. We set up our tent, and us guys are sleeping in the tent to wake up to four to six inches of snow covering the, the whole tent. Um, so we end up having to drive down the mountain, stay at a, church, a local church there in Moab, and it still had a great time, but went from that, I had one day to repack my bags, and um, took Mitchell Lee, Mitchell Lee kind of heads up our um, kids' church ministry, basically our first through sixth graders, and trying to help develop him and, and train him, um, I took him to a conference in Atlanta, and the conference was called Orange, and so Um, I wanted to be able to kind of combine not only what we got out of this conference, but kind of what God was wanting me to share, not only with moms, but really for us as a congregation. Um, This isn't a sermon for just moms, so if you're not a mom, you can still listen, all right? Um, So I was like, okay, I got to get in mom mode then. And so I put on my wife's shoes and and tried to think that way, and they were uncomfortable, awkward, and they didn't stop, just kept going. And um, just, I think it was like a week and a half ago, my wife was in mom mode, And she's always constantly going. And she was sitting down with our middle son, Xander, and doing the mom job that all of you guys love, which was trimming his toenails. And she was sitting there trimming his toenails, and he just looked at her with the wisdom that kids have, and he says, Mom, did you have to go to mom school before having kids? And she's like, That would have been nice. But they didn't offer that at the college that we went to. but knowing that moms are pretty busy, ladies, and having just gotten back, I, I want to share with you guys a little bit about this conference I went to and tie it into us as a, as a body and, and the challenges that we have there. And this conference was called Orange. And what they mean by this is Orange itself, uh, I'm going to explain what that stands for, but I want to just give you a glimpse of, um, of what Mitchell and I experienced. I'm going to interview him next week and let him share a little bit what God's laying upon his heart. But it was incredible to not only hear some of the, the greatest speakers out there that are talking to us about um, kids ministry, youth ministry, church ministry as a whole, and just trying to take all that in, all the different speakers, but being able to worship with 7,000 people and just be in, in God's presence in a powerful way. So I just want to give you a little glimpse of, of what I got to experience uh, last week. You know, Orange itself, and I'll, I'll tell you how they got to that that point of calling it orange, but orange itself stands out. You know, construction workers put up the orange barrels, which we see all the time, right? Too much. And uh, if you're hunting, you have to wear hunter orange, you know, to stand out um, in different ways. And so they thought of orange standing out, but what they did is they did something pretty smart. They combined red and yellow to get orange um, and not very deep, but, but each of those things represents something different. They talk about yellow representing the church because, as Kenny shared earlier, we are the light. Uh, the church is the light that stands on a hill. And so it talks about the church being a light, the church that brings the light out to to the world. And then it talks about the homes, the homes representing um, the red, which is the, 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 the warm heart and the heart of a family. And it brings those together and combines those. And that's where they got the orange from. It says that two combined influences make a greater impact than just two influences. When we combine those influences, um, you know, I looked at this and, and, man, I look back and I've been in ministry as a pastor for over 25 years and, and I started when I was 10. Um, no, but, but I've looked back and, and one of the things that has drawn me and, and pulled me in and kept me where I'm at doing young people ministry, youth ministry, is, is seeing what God's doing in the life of these kids. Just like Adelphi shared, I remember taking Adelphi to camp from when she was a junior higher up and a lot of her friends and seeing God um, impact their lives and challenge them in many ways, and we're seeing the fruit of that, of God working in them, and God challenging them. Um, but when I was looking at churches and thinking about, you know, that, you know, I've, I've worked in churches long enough to see, you know, the single person that's looking for a church, usually it's about themselves, and they want to find a church as other singles, because of course you want to find someone, you know, and so they start looking that way, and then you have young couples who get together, and they get married, and they're finding a church that fits them, and, and meets their needs and might have great worship, might have a small group ministry, might have what they need, then all of a sudden things change a little bit. And you start looking for a church as you have kids that's going to meet the needs, not only of yourself, but meet the needs of your kids. And, and, and things start to change. And I've even seen people who have walked away from God, have chosen to live their life how they want to live, but all of a sudden they have kids and there's something that draws them back. Saying, so, you know what, we, we need to have this influence on our, on our young people and our kids. Um, There are two powerful influences on this planet, the church and the home. They both exist because God initiated them. They both exist because God desires to use them to demonstrate his plan of redemption and restoration. If they work together, they can potentially make a greater impact than if they work alone. They need each other. Too much is at stake for either one to fail. Their primary task is to build God's kingdom in the hearts of men and women, sons and daughters. So in saying all this, I want to challenge all of us this morning, not just the moms. I even wore an orange shirt to help you focus, um, but, but to talk about what God is doing and what God can challenge us to do. Um, not only am I a parent, but I'm also a minister. And my wife and I oversee birth through college age ministry here at this church. And our desire is to see all those age groups impacted by God and what God's doing with them and, and not only for that sake, but I'm also a parent. And next year scares me to death because my daughter enters youth ministry. And I'm like, oh. You know, I'm so used to, to speaking and, and, and challenging other people's kids that when it comes to your own, you're like, okay, someone else take her. <laughs> and I don't mean that in a bad way. But it's just like to, to minister to her and, and help challenge her and to love on her in, in that way, in that realm. Um, so my challenge this morning is to dream big dreams. What I'm going to focus on is dreaming big dreams. A parent has 936 weeks between birth and graduation. Doesn't seem like much when you put it that way. 936 weeks between birth and graduation. So we as parents begin dreaming big dreams for our kids. And the reason I do what I do is because I dream big dreams for our young people and for our kids here. The main statement of this conference was, and you saw it up there, it's just a phase. You don't want to miss it. A phase is defined as a time frame in a kid's life when you can leverage distinctive opportunities to influence their future, to influence their future. These, and like I said, I'm going to tie this in together and I'm going to throw a challenge out at the end um, about dreaming big dreams, but I'm going to share with you some of the phases they walked us through. And you can look at this, and, and you might be in one of these phases. You might have kids in some of these phases, and you can really relate to what I'm saying. You might have kids that have gone through that, and now you're facing grandkids with that way. But I just want to ch- just kind of share what they, they shared with us about these phases. Um, the first phase was the, the um, preschool phase. And they say, and the Applegates will agree with this one, the zero to one phase is when nobody sleeps, everybody smells. And one mesmerizing baby convinces you, I need you now. The one and two-year-old phase is when nobody's on time, everything's a mess, and one eager toddler will insist, I can do it. (laughs) The three and four-year-old phase is when anything can be imagined. Everything can be a game, and one curious preschooler wants to know, why? Why? Next phase. Elementary phase, this is kindergarten and first grade. This is the phase when unfiltered words make you laugh. Homework makes you cry. And a life becomes a stage where your kid shouts, Look at me, look at me. Second and third grade phase is when fairness matters most. Differences get noticed, and your enthusiastic kid thinks anything sounds like fun. Fourth and fifth grade phase. This is when friends are best friends. Games are now for competition. And your confident kid will insist, I've got this, I've got this. Then we enter in the next phase, phase that I work with, and this is your middle school phase, junior high phase. Sixth grade phase is when there's never enough groceries. (laughs) Right? Too many hormones and a dramatic kid that needs someone to prove who cares. Seventh and eighth grade phase is when nothing you do is cool, right? <laughs> nothing you do is cool. Um, I think my daughter entered that one early. <laughs> Dad, you're not cool. I'm like, serious? Um, everything is fun in a crowd, and one smart kid will keep reminding you. Yeah, I know. I know. Ninth grade phase. This is the next stage, isn't it? It's the high school phase. This is when friendships shift. Grades start to count. Interests change so often, your teenager has to explain, this is me now. (laughs) Tenth grade phase is when everyone else can. Nobody else has to, and your resolute, resolute teen will push you to answer, why not? Then you have 11th grade phase, when there's less drama, more stress, and your very busy teenager answers all your questions with, just trust me. Just trust me. (laughs) And then we have 12th grade. 12th grade phase is when your emerging adult pulls away, then gets closer. Does things for the last time, and you both start asking, what's next? What's next? And then I I put in one more phase, and that's the 18-plus phase, is when your emerging adult pulls away more, but then needs you again, hopefully not to move in. Um, does things for the first time. And you both keep asking, what now? What now? Dreaming big dreams. Dreaming big dreams. Some of you may recognize those phases, but as I mentioned, out of those phases, I, I get the privilege of working with our 7th through 12th graders. And I get to come alongside of you as parents and pour into your kids and do that. But as I started looking into it and i saying, you know, what is the opportunity that I have Um, Adelphi mentioned one of those which is camps and that's why I love camps is because I get them 24-7 for five days and I get to give them back and say woof Um, but I get to pour into their lives and see what God's doing in their lives but I I put together the math and I started looking at it and saying you know what if your kid comes to youth group and we do youth group every Wednesday night from about 7 to 9 o'clock if he comes to youth group every week never misses like most of Jensen kids um, but never misses from 7th through 12th grade I basically get 26 days with your kids. 26 days. That's, and it's like, wow, you don't really think about that. That's a six-year period. And so I'm trying to work alongside of you and, and trying to dream for your kids, but it's such a small amount, and that's even when they're there. And then I, I calculated in the time, if you count counted in Sunday school, when you drop your kids off on a Sunday morning, and they get that hour of time of a teacher pouring into their life. And so from kindergarten through sixth grade and then adding seventh through twelfth is basically 41 days that the church gets to breathe into your kids' life. And a lot of times we, and and this isn't to to put a downer on this, a lot of times we expect the church to be the one to dream their dreams and to put God in their life and challenge them that way, but yet we have a small window. But yet we want to use that window in powerful ways. We want to be able to say, God, help us to breathe life into these kids. Help us to come alongside these parents and show them who Jesus Christ is. And so I want to share with you guys how can I dream big dreams for my kids? Or how can I partner with the church in helping dream big dreams for other people's kids and be a part of this? Dreams. Dreams are the raw material for adventure. We've heard some of these sayings before. I just put down a few of them. Martin Luther King Jr. said, I have a dream, and it impacted human rights around our nation. George Bernard Shaw said, Some men see things as they are and say, Why? I dream dream things that never were and say, Why not? America was discovered because someone had a dream of exploring new land. We have our freedom because someone fought for their dream. Another quote was, Happy are those who dream dreams and are ready to pay the price to make them come true. C.S. Lewis said, You're never too old to dream a new dream. And that's why this morning I want to talk you know, to you, all of us in here. This isn't for just those that have kids. It's not just for moms, but every one of us can dream dreams. When was the last time you dreamed big things for your kids, for your church, or for yourself? But isn't that what our leaders do? I mean, that's why you're our pastor, right? That's why we come and drop them off to you so you can dream for them. God, give me vision to see pastor right now with its circumstances and hindrances and see what your will is for my life. Help me to dream big dreams for my own walk with God, for my friends, my school, my family, my job, my future, our church, our youth, our kids. So this morning I want to focus on three men in the Bible. And I'm going to take their names and, 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 and demonstrate kind of an idea of what's going to help us to dream big dreams. And how to keep your dreams from being destroyed. The first name, the first man we're going to talk about, his name means it's with God's grace. With God's grace. What is grace? Grace is God's love through Christ. It's imparting mercy, forgiveness, desire, and power to do God's will. It's basically a pardon that's already been paid for. But the problem is, is we think Christianity is about what we do and don't do and that it's not about grace. And we have a pastor who shared quite a bit and has, has really broken down and showed us what grace really means. But I, I want you to turn uh, to Romans chapter 7 and we're going to read someone who wrote a lot of the New Testament and challenged us in, in some mighty ways uh, and, and was really honest with us. Back when I was growing up, you didn't start reading until you could hear all the pages stop. Wiggling, so now I have to wait till all the glow, you know, of, of the the phones and all that kind of stuff. But I want to read from uh, Romans seven to you. This is verses fifteen and through uh, chapter eight, and this is this is again, like I said, this is Paul, and he's writing this and he's showing us that he also understands what we go through, and some of the things that we battle with each week in our own mind, and and with the teens, I call this the doo doo scripture because he goes through this and talks about the things that he wants to do and and doesn't do. But he says this, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Anybody relate to that? You know. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil's right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin that's at work within my members. And then Paul says this, what a wretched man am I? Who will rescue me from this body of death? And he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. And then verse eight continues this on with the, the big word that's therefore. And you always want to know why it's there for. And it says this, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Jesus Christ, the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. So we've been set free. We've been set free. We need to die to our sins. We need to die to our sins. But Paul's explaining to us that even he had this struggle of dying to those sins and trying to do this and trying to do what's right and this battle that wages war within him. And, he, and then later on in Galatians chapter 2, he again says that we need to die to our sins. And Paul wasn't exempt from this. He says, I need to die to my sins daily. We all need to die to our sins daily. Galatians two twenty and 21 says, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for it is righteousness. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. And so some of us beat ourselves up and and we always struggle and we just can't get rid of that one sin and and we don't push on and yet we don't realize that it's with God's grace. It's with God's grace. And Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 goes on and, and it describes this grace as a gift. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourself. It is, a, it is the gift of God, not by work so that one can boast. So we have this gift, this gift of grace. And I was thinking back uh, when I was a kid and remembering some of the gifts that I got growing up. And I remember one of my favorite gifts was that, that my parents got me, and I was just like, that was the best gift ever. And it was my G.I. Joe uh, action figures. And they're action figures, not dolls. Okay? As a boy, you want to make sure your parents know these are action figures. And with my G.I. Joe action figures, I had it all. I had the the towers and the headquarters and the Jeeps and the helicopters. And man, hours and hours my brother and I spent with these G.I. Joes. I mean, we even carved goatees in them and shaved their heads. And maybe that's why I do that now. I don't have a G.I. Joe anymore. Um, (laughs) But I passed those on to my kids. And I gave them the experience of enjoying this gift that was given to me and I remember having someone tell me once that, man, you should have just preserved those. They're worth so much money now just if you had just kept them in really perfect shape and all this kind of stuff. And, and I started thinking about that, and, and no knock on collectors, but I'm like, man, just think of the hours of fun that would have been missed. Not only my own enjoyment of, of these gifts and, and what they meant to me and having fun with them, but then I got to pass those on to my kids, and my kids got to enjoy those gifts, and they're still enjoying them. you know. And you think about that, and how many of us take... God's grace and we put it on a shelf saying, man, I might need this later. Let's see if it can, you know, I, I might do something really bad. So I'm just going to, you know, I'm not going to use God's grace now, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to store it up for when I really do need it. When I can really use that gift. So what is this gift we're receiving? Romans 6.23 says before, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the gift of God's grace. So the first person I'm talking about whose name means the grace of the Lord is a young man named Hananiah. Hananiah's name means the grace of the Lord. And Hananiah had a friend. And his friend's name was, and I'll, I'll hit that on the end, but his name meant with God's help. With God's help. Help is releasing control and getting help. I can't do this on my own. I can't do it on my own. Hebrews 13, 6 says, So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? The Lord is my helper. Satan's greatest line of defense is fear. Is fear. What can man do to me? we're afraid to get involved involved we can't do it or i'm not good at this i can't speak in front of people i can't talk to kids i can't talk to youth i can't lead a small group i can't we come up with all these excuses you know even moses had excuses right and yet there came a point where he had to realize that he had help that god was his help And I think back to the people who influenced my life, the people who were willing to, to do the same thing and stand up. There was a couple who uh, were my high school, Sunday school teachers. And that was their involvement. And I remember them having an impact on my life because they kicked me out of their Sunday school class when I was in high school. And everything inside of me was like, you know who I am, right? You know, I may be a pastor one day and you're kicking me out of class. You know, you know, my, you know my parents, right? They're on the board and, you know, all those, I didn't say those things, but all those things that were going through my mind, and yet they had the guts not only to say something harsh to me, but to love me enough to say, you know what, you're a distraction in this class. We can't even speak to the other kids because of you. And it was a wake-up call for me. It was something that, that opened my eyes to say, wow, I'm influencing others and it's not the way I should be influencing them. And so they had the willingness to step up in my own life. I remember the young adults who would come to my baseball games or would I'd play football with and, and that would just speak into my life and I'd hang around and I'd watch everything they did and they were an example to me and how important that was. I remember another gentleman who uh, later on I end up running into in Minnesota and we helped plant a little four square church there together. But he was in college and he could have been just focused on himself. I'm a college student. And him and a bunch of buddies had uh, a house up by the U. And so they said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to start a Bible study. Bring up a bunch of guys, high school guys, and have a Bible study. And I remember it so much because we'd start off our Bible studies by playing tackle basketball in their living room. There's nothing more fun than tackle basketball um, with a Nerf ball. It wasn't like, you know. But it was the simple things like that is, is they started taking time and started sharing Christ with me and challenging me and, and breathing into my life, not knowing that later on down the road we would end up going to the same church in Minnesota of all places um, and, and planning a church together, you know. And so there are people who, who knew that God could work in, in mysterious ways, God could do some incredible things. And those are people who breathed into my life. Um, I got joy out of, you know, what they did in my experience. But yet, it's one of the things that also helps me speak into the life of our young people, to be a part of speaking life into kids because I get to see God do some powerful things and challenge them in some powerful ways. Um, the next part here is, is who do you rely on for your help? If we're talking about help, who do you rely on for your help? And um, an example of that, of getting past our fears and, and stepping beyond that, there's a, a camp that we take the, the girls to in Colorado, um, and it's not the youth girls, but the, the younger girls, the impact girls. And a lot of them got to experience this last year, one of the um, ropes courses that they have. And I grew up going to this camp, uh, was a youth leader at this camp for years, and so I got the experience as an adult to do one of the things that they have, and it's called a pamper pole. And in this, it's like a huge telephone pole that goes clear up in the sky, and a little tiny wood ladder that you kind of climb up, um, scared to death as you're climbing up there. And you get to the very top, and there's a piece of wood that barely your feet fit on. And it's on the top of this pole, so there's nothing to help you get up there and to climb up there it's just the last thing so you're like holding on trying to get your feet up there and then standing up and they do have a harness on you so we're not trying to kill your kids um you have a harness and a rope on you and there's someone down below that if you do fall off they're supposed to to you know pull up on it and save you um so uh i'm up on i I get up on this this little piece of wood and i'm standing up there and my knees are starting to knock i'm like oh my goodness this is like scary And then the guy down below that's holding the rope says, okay, what I want you to do is there's a a trapeze bar out there about six, seven feet away and I want you to jump and grab hold of it. And I'm like, you're serious, right? he goes, no, no, don't worry about it. You know, I got the rope on you and I'm looking down at him going, I'm bigger than you. This is gonna be like one of those movies where I jump and I go down and you go up. This isn't gonna happen. Um, And he's like, no, no, trust me. And so I'm like trying to get past this fear. And I remember jumping out there and grabbing onto this bar and I'm just like, yes. You know, and all that fear that just dis- disappears. And I'm holding on to it swinging and he goes, okay, now let go. And I'm like, oh yeah, there's no way down. You know, and all that fear comes rushing back in again. But I had to trust this gentleman down below that he knew what he was doing, that he had the harness on me, this rope, and that he could lower me down and, and release on that. But a lot of us forget that we have help, that God is our helper, that he's there with the rope saying, okay, you need to jump. Joshua 1, 5 through 8. Who do you rely on for your help? Who do you rely on for your help? And so this is what was said to Joshua. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is God speaking to Joshua. He says this, be strong and courageous. Because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. It says again, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. So I jotted down some of the things that stood out to me. There were six things that stood out to me in this that God's saying to Joshua when he started off, and they're pretty simple things. The first thing he says is, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then he says, be strong. And he repeats it, be strong and courageous. And the second time he says, very courageous. The fourth thing he says, obey God's word. And then he explains how. How do you, how do you, how do you obey God's word then? He says, by memorizing scripture. It's hard to fight courageously without a weapon. You think about that. It's hard to fight courageously without a weapon because then you're just running, scared, trying to avoid that person. The Word of God is our weapon. It's called a sword. And then the last thing it said is to meditate on it. Meditate on it when you're at church. Meditate on it when you have the radio on. It says meditate on it daily. Meditate on the Word of God. So here is God saying, you know what? I will be there with you. And you will be prosperous and successful. I am there to help you. So we have God's grace. And now we have God's help. The second young man, his name was Azariah. Azariah's name means the Lord is my help. The Lord is my help. So you need grace. You need help. And then there's one more. And that's an extra set of hands, right? Or you need a a nanny. Um, You know, you're trying to do all these things then the last thing that I want to focus on is with God's strength. Strength is the ability to withstand force, pressure, or stress. The ability to resist attack. 2 Timothy 4, 16 through 18. At my first defense, no one came to support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them, But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So whose strength are you relying on? Trying to do it on your own? Whose support are you looking for? You'll never make it on your own. You need strength in God. You need God's strength. Mark 10:27 Jesus looked at them and he said this, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. So look back at your dreams look back, back at the dreams that you have the dreams you have for yourself the dreams you have for your, your kids the dreams you have your, for your family for your church all things are possible with God there was a a young man who shared his 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 testimony at this conference and he was talking about dreams and pursuing one of the dreams that he had of trying out for an NBA team and he says you know what he says, you can try to, to, to fall through on one of your dreams and you may fail. Or you can never try and always regret it. He said, I'd rather try and fail than never try and always regret it. And then you can't fake it. 2 Timothy 3, 5. Having a form of godliness but denying its power have nothing to do with them. you need God's strength. So in these 3 people, the last young man, we had Hananiah, God's grace, Azariah, the Lord is my help, and the last one is Mishael. And Mishael, his name means the Lord is a strong God. The Lord is a strong God. And many of you guys have heard this story before. They had a good friend of theirs named Belshazzar. And most of us don't realize that that was their God-given name. They were given different names, and I'm going to share the story with you um, of who they are. But these young teenagers uh, had this dream, and there was, their dream was, was going to be destroyed. They were trying, someone was trying to kill their dream. They were taken from their homes as teenagers. They were told to conform to the ways of the people they were living with. Have you ever been out of your comfort zone with God? People wanted them to join in with their sin, not stand up against it. Does that sound familiar? They were given the choice to give in to this world or die. To give in to this world and die. And, and sometimes we live in such a bubble here in America that we don't realize that around this world, people are, being, are given that same statement on a day-to-day basis. People are told on a day-to-day basis, either, either give in or die. Either give in or die. And they're people who have to rely on God's grace, God's help, and God's strength. But these young men, they chose to stand up for their dreams. Your vision will become a reality when your vision becomes more important to you than life itself. So, anybody know the story yet? Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. The three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Vision without compromise. So they threw grace, help, and strength into the fiery furnace. And who was right there with them? If you read down in verse 25, it says, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. And so we go through this life and we have these dreams and we have these things that that we're being challenged to do and we want God to to be alive in us and we forget that he's there with us. He wants us to fulfill those dreams. He wants to, to see some amazing things happen. But what represents the furnace in your life? The thing or things in your life that are trying to destroy your dreams and God's vision and will for your life or the life of your kids? or the life of your church or the life of your job your neighborhood this country what is that furnace what is trying to destroy the dreams that God is placing inside of you and I want to challenge you to ask that you need to hold on to the grace of God completely he doesn't halfway forgive and he doesn't forgive if you do this or you do that so hold on to God's grace hold on to God's grace. The second thing is you need to ask for his help. It's one thing you can't do on your own. No matter how hard you try, you can't do it on your own. You need God's grace, you need his help, and the last thing is you need to trust that he will give you the strength. And I know this week, in the last little while, I might have been running, it seems like 100 miles an hour, and I'm like, God, I need your strength. I need your strength in a powerful way. And God will strengthen you. be there to stand with you. And so I'm going to close in prayer, and I just want to challenge each and and every one of you here, you know, we do want to say Happy Mother's Day. And we don't want this to be a downer sermon. It's not something to, to put guilt or anything on you. It's to say, you know what? God has given you some dreams. God wants to speak into your life. He wants to speak into the life of your kids. He wants to maybe use you to speak into other people's lives. And He's given you the grace to do it. He's given you the help to do it. And He says, I'll be there beside you I'll give you the strength and even though you feel like you're walking through a fiery furnace and that everything around you is crumbling or or feeling like it's being crushed, he says I'll be there with you so close your eyes with me this morning and I just want to pray over you guys and and, uh, just pray God strengthen your life that you just rely on who he is and what his word says he will do, so Father God I thank you for this morning God, we truly do thank you for the moms that each one of us have and the influence they've been on our life, God. And yet, Lord, I I just pray for this morning that many of us, God, that we just dig deep. And many of us have buried dreams that we've had in our life, God. We've, We've buried things that you've challenged us to do, to step out in, saying, I can't do that. And yet this morning, God, just like these three young teenagers, God, we know that you will walk with us you give us the grace to keep on, that you will be there to help us, and that you'll be our strength, God. And I pray this morning that as each one of us leave this place, God, that we know that we're leaving here with you. So walk with us today, God. Strengthen us today. And God, help us to not only dream dreams, but to help see others' dreams accomplished. So Lord, we give you this morning in your precious name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys.